At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday edition of PFTPM, five days away from Super Bowl 55. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, over the course of the next hour, we'll have Colts running back Naheem Hines and Sean King, our good friend from the old NBCSN Pro Football Talk in the afternoon days, will be joining us. Always a fun guy. He was a quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that almost got to the Super Bowl back in 1999 against the greatest show-offs on turf. Shireen, good afternoon. How are you? I'm fantastic, Mike. And I had Sean King in Tampa, and I can't wait to talk to him. Well, the the thing about talking to Sean King is you need to set some time aside because Sean likes to talk, (laughs) and I like to listen to Sean. So we'll have some fun with Sean coming up before we get to Naheem and Sean. And I think we're also going to play an interview that we did earlier today with Cam Akers of the Rams. Let's get to some of the news coming out of Tampa. Although no one's in Tampa yet, the teams won't be there other than the team that lives there. But yeah, you get the point. Here's uh, Patrick Mahomes from earlier today. He had that toe injury that contributed to injury question marks going into the AFC Championship. He had the concussion. He had the toe. Would the toe be okay? Here's Mahomes with an update on that toe that had him hobbled in the divisional round against the Browns? It feels a lot better. Uh, I mean, having these two weeks to, to let it rest and heal up, um, especially being almost three weeks away from the uh, – over three weeks away from the uh, the injury itself. I um, mean, if you look at, at those type of in- injuries, that kind of gives you the, the normal timeline. So uh, definitely every single day that I get the rest, it, it makes it even better. Um, but it, it's, it's pretty close to 100%. I'm sure by game day it will be. Sprained ligaments in that big toe, very painful, can be very limiting. And we saw he was able to work his way through it. But between plays against the Browns, he was clearly affected by the toe. Didn't see any of that, what was now nine days ago against the Bills. So uh, no reason to think he's going to have any issues against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least as it relates to the toe. They could give him issues because he doesn't have his two tackles, but that's independent of anything going on within Patrick Mahomes' body. Sammy Watkins, a guy who last year in the Super Bowl showed up big, ran by Richard Sherman, inspired by film of uh, Devontae Adams running by Richard Sherman in the NFC Championship last year. Here's Sammy Watkins regarding whether he thinks he'll be able to to make his postseason debut against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Um, feeling great, um, but I'm still working out with the training staff for it um, and just going over everything so I can have a chance and possibly, you know, go out there and feel 100% or 95 or 85, wherever I get at um, by Sunday. But feeling pretty good, very optimistic, um, but having good practices. So um, hopefully I can go out there and, and have fun and play. Shereen, I'm trying to jam so much of the show. And before we get to the guests, I haven't let you talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's start with Sammy Watkins and work backward. Um, I, I just think the Chiefs have to just count on nothing from Sammy Watkins and whatever you get's a bonus. Oh, no question about it. You know, he had three catches for 38 yards against the Bucks the last time they played and, and had a couple big catches in that game. But, you know, if they don't have Demarcus Robinson, that's the big thing to me, Mike. If they don't have Demarcus Robinson, they absolutely need Sammy Watkins, even if he is, as he said. I like how it went from 100% to 95% to 85%. But even if he's at 85%, if they don't have Demarcus Robinson, they need him. You look at what Demarcus Robinson played, 42 snaps in the AFC Championship game and 48 in the game before that. So he played a lot of snaps at receiver. They need one of the, or other of those guys. If they have both of them, it's a bonus. And they talked today about Sammy Watkins' future. He's getting to the end of the three-year contract he signed. When he signed that contract, when Odo Beckham Jr. signed his contract, Sammy Watkins' deal was actually better from the standpoint of annual average plus considering you get back to the market quickly. The problem is he's not going back to the market on a high note 
the Chiefs should be able, Shireen, to keep him around at a reasonable rate. And they're going to have to. Look, one thing we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but I think it's going to dominate the discussion post-Super Bowl, what will the salary cap be and what impact will that have on the guys who are hitting the market, especially since they'll be competing for jobs with guys who get cut by teams that can't afford the cap numbers and the salaries that those players are set to have due to where the cap is going to be. And I keep hearing $180 million, which is an $18.2 million drop. So Sammy Watkins is hitting the market at a bad time, both because of his chronic injury problem and because of the salary cap. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And it's a great point. And I wrote that today after listening to Sammy Watkins talk about his future. And he said he's going to wait till the end of the season, but he'd like to come back to Kansas City. And I think they will be able to get him at a lower price. And it took a pay cut to come back this year to the Chiefs. They asked him to. He cut his salary more than $4 million, agreed to come back this year. But you look at the six games he missed in the regular season and the entire postseason so far, Mike, He's not going to have a big market out there. There's no possible way. So he probably will be back to the Chiefs. I know they just said that they want to keep him. They should be able to work something out. But guys like that are really going to be affected. You look at a guy like Adamican Sue and what he's making this year. He's going to be really affected. There's a ton of guys on this market, those middle-range guys who are making a lot of money this year. They're going to take pay cuts to come back next year. An executive that I was communicating with a week or two ago about what it's going to do specifically mentioned Sue, pointing out that if Sue's making $8 million in 2020, it's going to be $3 million at best for him in 2021 because of what the cap is going to do. The stars are still going to get their money. That's not where the squeeze is going to happen. And the rookies are going to get their money because it's all calculated and formulaic. In the middle is where the push is going to happen. And Sammy Watkins is one of these guys that falls squarely into the middle. Now, we, we don't know whether or not we'll see Sammy Watkins when Super Bowl Sunday rolls around. We also don't know about a few of the key members of the Buccaneers who are dealing with injuries. Antonio Brown didn't play in the NFC Championship with a knee injury. Jordan Whitehead, great safety, did play but suffered a shoulder injury. He punched out a couple of footballs during that game and really helped with what seemed to be the dagger, the fumble that helped the Bucs run up the score to 28-10 to before they held on to win the game. And then Antoine Winfield Jr., who got hurt late in the week before the NFC Championship, was a kind of a surprise scratch for the game. Still not ready to go, according to the Buccaneers. You know, they can get by without Antonio Brown, but if they don't have Whitehead and Winfield, that puts a lot of pressure on the guys who will be left over in the secondary. That's exactly where I was going, Mike. You know, we, we talk about A.B. and how big he is, and you look at the first Super Bowl he played in, he had one catch for one yard. I know he wants to play and improve upon that. Obviously, they're fine, as they showed last week uh, in the NFC Championship game without him. They have enough weapons. Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller stepped up and each had a huge play in that game. So, they can do without A.B. They can't do without those two starting safeties. I don't like their chances if those two guys can't play. Fortunately, they have a few more days to get healthy. They can do that and get on the field. I like the Bucks' chances much, much better, Mike, having those two guys in there for the entire game. Yeah, absolutely right. And that Buccaneers defense has gotten so much better since losing to the Chiefs in Week 12. They had the bye week the following Sunday, and then seven games, seven wins, defense improving, offense improving. And Devin White has become, I think, the heart and soul of that defense as the middle linebacker. He can get all across the field. He can make things happen. He he hits hard. He plays hard. He's, he's great when it comes to instincts for getting to the football. And he has a guy next to him in Levante David who's been around since 2012. He gets overlooked. Devin White spoke yesterday about an arrangement he has with Levante David. And I, I want to be clear going in, and I thought I was clear when I wrote about it earlier today, but again, reasoning with Twitter is like trying to teach a dog <laughs> to fly an airplane. Uh, here's Devin White talking about a system that he has in place with his teammate Levante David. I mean, it's been great, you know, just, I mean, he, and you know, he done taught me a lot, or uh, still teaching me a lot. And I'm teaching him some too, you know, especially like it's always uh, that, that mentality, like beat me to the ball, make uh, get more tackles than me. Let's see who can come up with the biggest play first. You know that whoever come up with the biggest play, that person got to pay the other person a thousand dollars. Just little stuff that I'm able to uh, throw into our game to make it more interesting as well. 
See, this is something that for those of us who follow the game closely and who were covering the game nine years ago, you hear that. And that is an immediate, not just red flag, that's sirens, that's red flashing lights. That is no, no, don't start down that slippery slope. Don't go there because that's exactly what was at the foundation of the Saints bounty scandal, the thing that used to be cultural throughout the NFL for whatever reason. They didn't bother to discipline anyone else. They caught the Saints, they hammered the Saints, and scared everyone else straight. But this idea of guys exchanging money for big plays, well, what's a big play? Interception, fumble, maybe applying a clean legal hit to a guy who can no longer play in the game because of that clean legal hit. That was the bounty system. And I just recall the clear message coming out of that, Shireen, knock this stuff off completely. No pots of money, no exchanging money, no systems for supplemental walking around money. We don't do it anymore. And here we are nine years later, and Devin White's only in the NFL two years, but it tells me it's still out there. And uh, they just better be careful or they're going to end up, you know, one of these teams not having a head coach for a year. Here's where it becomes a problem, Mike, is if he says something and then knocks Patrick Mahomes out of the game, legal or not. So let's take it to a real world experience, right? Mac Wilson hit Patrick Mahomes, knocked him out of the game two games ago in the divisional round of the postseason. What if Mac Wilson had said something like this before the game and then knocked him out? Now, Mac Wilson was not fined for that hit. He was not penalized. I don't think he was penalized, right, for that hit. But if he had said something like this, Mike, it would have been a huge controversy. The NFL would have had to investigate that. So for the Bucks' sake, Devin White's sake, he better hope that he's not in on a hit, He or Levante Davis, not in a hit that knocks Patrick Mahomes out of this game, because then it's going to become a really big deal. I sent an email to the league office asking for any comment or insight or guidance on this, and they haven't responded. Now, a pattern has emerged in recent years. When they don't want to deal with it, they don't respond, and they force me to ask again. So eventually, I will ask again. They hope that I'll forget. And in a busy week like this, it's easy to forget. But, folks, you need to understand, this really is a slippery slope, whether it's who knows about it, and who's involved in it, and who's administering it. If it's just Levante David and Devin White among the two of them, look, it still makes me nervous because I know that's how it starts and that's how it spreads. But I think it would be naive to assume that if he's so casually and nonchalantly talking about this, that it's not something that has applied more broadly to incentivize guys to go out and one-up each other and show who can make the biggest play and who can pick up a little bit of money. And I remember when the Saints bounty thing happened, Shireen, I was talking to Tony Dungy about why guys who are making six and seven figures per year would be motivated by two, three, four hundred dollars. He said, you have, it's unbelievable. Free movie tickets, they go crazy. They could buy out the theater every night. You give them a free movie ticket and they go nuts. That's just the way young guys are. And I think not just, look, I've been, to, I've been to the league meetings and you see all the free stuff that the billionaires who could buy the factory are walking around with. Everybody wants something free. There's something about it that makes it nice if it's free. And if you earn something with a big hit and you get a little extra money, that, that just that gives you that extra little, that extra little boost. They just have, they got to be careful. And, of course, the Buccaneers fans are mad that I've pointed it out, but it's better to point it out and stop it than to let it run wild and get everybody in trouble. I have a feeling that Devin White and Levante David are being talked to today to either say shut up or shut it down, or both probably, to to get this thing nipped in the bud because you don't want this to develop into something more if something does happen to Patrick Mahomes, and let's hope it doesn't in the Super Bowl. So let's hope he stays safe and healthy and, and they play this game fully and we'll see who comes out on top. But you don't want something to happen to him and then this thing really blow up. Yeah, and the Buccaneers can't put their heads in the sand now because it's yeah. out there. If they had never said it and somebody had tripped over it, they could say, we didn't know anything about it. 
you can't say we didn't know anything about it now because your guy and and I'm not faulting Devin White when in Rome he doesn't know he's new to the NFL if they're allowing this atmosphere and culture if it's still there but it's just very discreet he didn't know nobody told him not to say anything nobody told him not to do it he's just doing what guys do so again I'm not criticizing him I'm just saying that now that that's out in the open they better do something about it or they're going to have a problem EA Sports had a problem in the form of litigation that arose because they had a college football game that was not compensating the players whose names, images, and likenesses would work into the game. And I remember buying that game back, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And the West Virginia players, you knew who they were, even though their names weren't on the back of their jerseys. They were the same size. They were the same shape. They had the same attributes. When you gave a guy the football and he took off, you knew that that was the starting running back. So, uh, Shireen, now that we're moving toward players being able to get paid for their names, image, and likenesses college football is coming back now it's not coming back this year but it's coming back at some point i think shireen they're trying to get the guts of this in place the infrastructure in place so once they figure out how to properly pay the kids and compensate them for their names their image and their likenesses they'll be able to fire up the game and get it to market quickly so i don't play video games tell me if it's like Johnny Menzel. Can he be on this game or is it all Kirk college players? How does it work? Well, I know what they do with the Madden game. They have a bunch of past players who are available in this ultimate team mode that is extremely popular. What they could do is have current teams and what you could then do is go out and acquire the rights to the former players. And that's not an issue because you can acquire rights and i don't know what they pay i've heard terrell owens complain it's not very much but you can get the rights to use the name the image and the likeness of a former player like a johnny manzel i i saw a mock-up of a cover with trevor lawrence on it you can pay him at this point to be on the cover of an ncaa video game so i think it would be a combination they do it like the nfl where you've got current teams plus you can do historical players and make your own, you know, put them on 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 uh, uh, Texas A&M if it's a player who played for Texas. You you know, you, you do it that way. So it'd be a combination. But for the current players, that's the problem. That's the impediment. And that's why they haven't had it in seven years because of the liability risk. Because if you're going to do it without the names and the likenesses and the images of the players properly licensed to you, you're going to have to work on every team to make sure there's no way that anyone's going to think that the guy who's playing quarterback is supposed to be the guy who's actually playing quarterback for that team. So that's where it becomes a challenge. But it looks like they're going to get ready at some point to start making all the money that they make off of other major video games like Madden, like the FIFA game. And uh, it's been a long time without college football. I know there's a lot of people excited about it. But still, I hope that the players, the current players, will be properly compensated when this comes back because they aren't properly compensated, frankly, for the sacrifices they make and the risks they take in playing college football. So is this your is West Virginia going to be your dynasty team, Mike, when it comes back? You know, I, I'm, I'm still partial to Madden, so uh, I'm probably going to stick with Madden. And and if the game is at all realistic, West Virginia will stink. So uh, or not be nearly as good as it once was. So I'll probably just stick. I'll probably just stick with Madden. All right, uh, let's take a break. Naheem Hines, Colts running back, a team that is in significant transition as it relates to the quarterback position. We'll get Naheem's thoughts on that and other things related to the franchise that he plays for when PFT PM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. 
Available starting early 2024. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So this is Tyreek Keys to Victory? Yes. Let's go. Uh, Tyreek Keys to Victory. One, get Tyreek the ball. Two, get Tyreek the ball. Three, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not even gonna say that. I just run fast, man. Even if they double me, I just run fast still, you know, because that's because if, if they double me and I'm running fast, that's gonna clear somebody else up. Tyreek Hill is fast as they come in the National Football League, and that's a simple key to victory. Get the ball to the fastest guy on the field, not Scotty Miller. Tyreek Hill, and I, I still marvel at the highlights from the AFC Championship when you see NFL-caliber defensive backs get twisted around by that speed, that burst, and that suddenness of Tyreek Hill. T- to be that much better at that level is incredible, Shireen. You know, I, I the best catch I think he made was the one that didn't count. I can't remember what that game was. I think it was a Monday night game, right, or a Sunday night game where he made the catch on his hip and they didn't know to review it. He didn't even know he caught the ball. But some of the catches he makes are just amazing. It's not just the speed, but the catches he makes are outstanding. And he ranks right up there. I can't imagine trying to stop him and Travis Kelsey both. It's an impossible task. Well, and the Bills were able to stop neither. That's the problem. You could ideally take away one. The Bills were able to take away neither. And it really makes me wonder what the Buccaneers are going to have figured out. I hope for their sake they won't do the single coverage of Tyreek Hill. He was on pace based on the first half of the first quarter of that Week 12 game to have 1,000 yards in the game. Patrick Holmes at halftime had 369 or 359 passing yards, and so that had him on pace to set the single-game record. The Buccaneers did something down the stretch to figure it out. Whatever it was they did in the second half, they need to bottle it, and they need to use that, Shireen, from the get-go on Sunday. Absolutely, and like we talked about, Mike, it's going to help if you have your safeties in there, your starting safeties, and they – Jordan Whitehead made such big plays in that uh, NFC championship game before he left. They really need those guys uh, to step up, but that defense has got to play better. They've got to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, whether they sack him or not is a different thing, but at least pressure him a little bit and do it without blitzing. Cause we know how good Patrick Mahomes is against the blitz, Mike. Yeah. And uh, it's against the blitz. It's against any pressure whatsoever. The big question though is, what can that offensive line do to slow down the guys who may get a chance to get after Patrick Mahomes? But he is so slippery. And you know, something Von Miller told us last year, something Robert Sala told us last week, that ability to just backpedal. You know, when you've got that baseball player shortstop arm where you don't have to have a good base and a good foundation and all the mechanical things that allow a quarterback to to crack that ball down the field you can just make the throw falling over backward that that makes you even more dangerous when you're trying to elude the rush because you can take those steps backward you can fade backward and still make that that incredible throw with just your arm and that's where we might see the toe being better this week, Mike. Having gone three weeks now with the chance for it to recover. And in the AFC Championship game, he did have only five carries for five yards. So we might see him more as a runner in this game if that toe truly is 100% or close to 100% than we did in the AFC Championship game. Because we know what he can do with his legs. We've seen it in the pocket or out of the pocket. He can move, Mike, when he's at 100%. And, you know, the one memory that sticks out for me this season, the game against the Dolphins, when he got sacked for a 30-yard loss, that was the one rare occasion when he always seems to know (laughs) how it all fits together, right? And he knows how he can get away, and he knows how much time he has. And then he told me after the game, he just took kind of a weird step at the wrong time, and he thought he was clear, and the next thing he knows, he's down on the ground. That does not happen 
very often with Patrick Mahomes. Last year, the 49ers did sack him four times in the Super Bowl, but when it counted, when he had to buy time with his feet to let Tyreek Hill get open 40 yards down the field for that play that that was the moment when we were like, uh-oh, uh-oh, yeah. the, uh, uh-oh. The, the 49ers, despite a 10-point lead and seven minutes left, are in trouble. He just He just finds a way in those moments. Tom Brady tends to find a way in certain games. For Mahomes, it just can happen at any time. It's like you're you're searching in the dark for that light switch, and all of a sudden, when you almost are completely out of hope, he finds it, and it's like it was never off. Yeah, and, and he can take a big sack, Mike, and the next thing you know, you know, it's third and long or second long or whatever it is, and they've managed to gain the first down somehow, some way. So it doesn't even matter. But I do think the Bucs have to do a better job of getting after him than they did in that first meeting in week 12. You mentioned the 49ers had the four sacks in the Super Bowl last year. The Bucs had two sacks in that week 12 game. Shaq Barrett had one and Jason Pierre-Paul had one. I think Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul may be the biggest keys in this game. They've got to do more to get pressure without the Bucs having to blitz and really forcing Patrick Mahomes to make some quick throws so Tyreek Hill doesn't have time, perhaps, to get behind him. As we get closer to the game, I have a dilemma, and I want your advice on something. And yes, this is my way of bragging that the blind squirrel is chewing on an acorn. I picked the Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl before this season. Now, I picked them to beat the Patriots. I didn't pick them to beat the Chiefs. Can I now bail on the Buccaneers and pick the Chiefs? Is that, as a matter of game-picking etiquette, would that be appropriate at this juncture? Yeah, you know, I think since the whole season has passed, I think you get a pass on that, and you would be allowed to pick the Chiefs at this time. I picked the Bucks to get there and lose to the Ravens, so I'm still okay with the Bucks if, if they lose. At least I can say I got the Bucks there, and I picked them to lose in the Super Bowl before the year started. So that's pretty good when you go one or two. But yeah, I think you're allowed, Mike, in that instance, to make a change on your pick. Okay, so if I do pick the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win, I can still say I picked <laughs> the Buccaneers right. to win the Super At Bowl before the season began. Thank yeah. you. Shireen has given me license to do exactly the thing that I feel like I shouldn't do, and now I feel somewhat better about it. Let's take a break. Our good friend Sean King, former Buccaneers quarterback who played for the Cardinals and maybe one other team in there. I can't remember. I have to do some research during the break to see where else Sean played. We'll talk to him when PFTPM continues right after this. buddy Sean King coming up later in the program for now, though, as promised, Colts running back Naheem Hines joins the program. And Naheem, you you guys had a a good season, got to the playoffs, gave the Bills everything they can handle. I know every team says we want to win the Super Bowl, but you have to feel like the season all in all for the Colts, given the expectations and just kind of the uncertainty around the franchise, it seems like it was a success. Uh, Definitely. We have a, this year we definitely have nothing to hang our heads on, but, uh, the way I look at it and a lot of people look at it is uh, we did fall short of our goal. And uh, though it wasn't this year we could win the Super Bowl, we're definitely uh, in the right direction. We're going to take, take, take we're about to keep making steps to, you know, go towards the Super Bowl. And that's our goal. You guys, did you honestly, sense during – go ahead, Shereen. I was going to say, you guys, you, have, <laughs> you guys have already had a ton of changes uh, in the offseason. What are you going to miss most about Phillip Rivers? Uh, just the uh, – the competitive nature he brought every day and just doing the right thing and being a pro. I, I love watching him play cornhole. I love watching him shoot free throws. And uh, just love how he woke, woke up every day just as hungry as a guy like myself. And he's done everything that he could possibly imagine with all his accolades. You, you've also had the change, obviously, at offensive coordinator. How much do you – how much interaction have you had with Marcus Brady? And what do you expect from him? And how's the offense going to be a little bit different? It's going to be a great offense. I'm not exactly sure uh, Marcus' spin on it yet, but Marcus has been a uh, he's been in our he's been in our facility, been in the, been around and been the brains behind a lot of things. He's in that quarterback room with Frank, uh, Nick Sirianni, and Philip, and every quarterback that's played. So uh, I think uh, everything's going to be fine. And Marcus is a very very intellectual guy, so I think our offense is going to be great. It's probably going to have his own little spin to it, and we're going to go out there and execute it. 
You know, I mentioned the playoff game against the Bills. You guys, you had your way with them offensively. 450 yards, no turnovers. Did you sense during the game that the Bills were, the players were kind of a little nervous that, you know, this magical season they had may come to an abrupt end? Uh, I don't really think so. Not not much. Uh, we might have had them on their heels, but, you know, it's a four-quarter game, and I'm sure they came out knowing with us even throughout the highs and lows that it was going to be a four-quarter game. And uh, just looking back on the game and, you know, the season, we just didn't make the plays that we needed to make to win. And uh, that was, like, evident with a lot of our losses. So that's really been our focus, just, you know, coming back next year and figuring out how, like, you know, the good teams make those plays and how we can be a great team who's got to make them plays. So we're going to make sure that we execute when it comes to it. Do you have a little wish list you carry around of guys that you hope will be quarterback of the team next year? Uh, no, um, honestly, truthfully not. I, I trust in, uh, you know, Chris Ballard and uh, Jim Mercy and everybody on our staff to make the right, the right choice for our team. They've been doing a great job and we've built together a pretty great squad over the past three years with uh, coach Frank Reich. So I think whoever we bring in, they're going to be great for our organization and we're going to go out there and try to make them look good too. You played with a lot of quarterbacks, Naheem, and you kind of came into your own in, in your rookie year when you made that great catch over the Honey Badger from Andrew Luck. Do you ever see Andrew Luck coming back and playing again? Oh, absolutely not. I, I don't. I don't see it at all. Uh, I actually saw. Uh, I actually saw ESPN talking about it earlier this week, and I think uh, truthfully, Andrew's probably happy with his decision. And if he doesn't, he'll come back. But uh, I think uh, Andrew. He had. A, he has a wife, and he has a kid who's over one years old. I think he's enjoying that, enjoying the retirement life. So you don't even have a favorite quarterback you want to see on your team next year, if you could pick it. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I honestly would, especially with having a, this be my fourth quarterback in four years, I've just learned not to have any favorites. I just, I've learned uh, whoever comes in there, I just need to make sure I'm at my spot, at the right spot at the right time for my play, honestly. Uh, Naheem, Jonathan Taylor had a great rookie season, uh, really came on strong near the end, especially had that huge game toward the end of the regular season, 200 plus yards. How much did you work with him? How much did you help him? Especially when, you know, coming into the NFL, you're not used to playing as many games as you played at the college level. How much of what we saw from him was a result of you kind of helping him get through that rookie year? Oh, uh, not much. Uh, I, you know, I gave him my little, my, my advice, and I told him how important his body is, but uh, I think it takes a village to, you know, raise everybody. And I think John Lynch's play was just, you know, everybody in that and organization investing in them, the line blocking him, blind blocking hard for him. And, uh, you know, all the guys like myself, Jordan Marlon, being a selfish and helping him uh, be who he is. He's a great player, and uh, he was always going to be that. So I don't really think I had uh, anything much to do with that. I think uh, he put the work in, he listened to the right people, and he's been working hard. Hey, Naheem, before we let you run, tell us what you have going on with MDA. Uh, this year, I'm honored to be the uh, 2021 National Spokesman of the NDA, MDA, the Muscular Street Association, where, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do my best job to raise, to raise awareness and, uh, you know, just make people more aware of not only muscular dystrophy, but ALS and all the other 43 neuromuscular diseases. And uh, St. Patrick's Day, I'll be honored to help with, you know, the MDA Shamrock Program, the largest St. Patrick's day fundraising event so you know we're going to keep just working hard and even if you're not affected by anybody with muscular dystrophy you can always you know reach out and help and uh fight this fight that we're all fighting together hey naheem great cause and we appreciate some of your time all the best to you in the off season we look forward to talking to you again thank you guys thank, thank you for having me all right there he is naheem hines indianapolis colts when we return former buccaneers and cardinals and other team quarterback sean king will be joining us here on gftpn Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to PFTPM, and look who we have here, a member of the family, alumnus of the old pro football talk show on NBCSN, our good friend, former Buccaneers quarterback who won the first playoff game in franchise history. He's Sean King. What's up, Sean? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great, buddy. Great to see you. You're also the guy that threw the pass that Bert Emanuel caught that touched the ground, that caused the rule change, that screwed up the NFL for 20 years. Yeah, I'm still looking for that replay, ref. If you find him, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember most from that game? You guys came so close to beating that great Rams team. 11-6 to six or 11-5 to five was the final score. What, what stands out to you the most from that all these years later? Well, now when you see all the technology and the communication that exists between a controversial play or what's deemed to be a controversial play and how it's communicated. It was so different back then. Like we actually called timeout after the catch and we had no idea that the play was even being reviewed. Like, I remember just like yesterday, I had actually called the next play in the huddle and we were breaking the huddle and the referee was standing over the ball and he said, Go back to the huddle. so that was the first time that we kind of, it was brought to our attention that something may be, you know, not right. So, you know, just the fact that we didn't even know, you know, was, was one of the fascinating aspect of, aspects of that that not a lot of people would know. Sean, I was there when you were drafted in 1999, and that was a great team. You guys played on one of the best defenses, two Hall of Famers now. Obviously, the 2002 team won the Super Bowl. What was the best team in Tampa Bay ever, you think? Ooh. Well, defensively, I think it was a 99 team. And if yeah, you look at the allocation of allocation of resources, all the money was on that side of the ball. And uh, John Gruden did a great job when he came in. But also, I think organizationally, for the first time, they invested on offense. We added Keenan McCardell. We added Joe Jurovicius. We added Ricky Dudley, Michael Pittman, Thomas Jones. I mean, so for the first time since I had been there, we actually put a lot of our resources from a salary cap standpoint on offense. So, I think that's what got us over the hump because now we had an offense that can actually, you know, pick up for our defense regularly when they weren't playing at the highest level. Do you think it's possible these days, Sean, to win on defense, to win with a great defense and maybe not a top franchise quarterback? I mean, you look at these two quarterbacks in the game, they're two of the best quarterbacks and perhaps headed toward NFL history for Patrick Mahomes. And obviously for Brady, he's already there. But can you win with defense? The old adage. I, th I think you can. I think what's happened is the finish line has been adjusted to what great defense is. You know, in 99 and 02, great defense was you held an opponent under 20 points. Like you hit the quarterback. You were physical with the wide receivers after the catch. Like you just went out and had a dominant physical defense. To me now in 2020, 2021, uh, you can win with defense, but it's got to be based on turnovers. You've got to have a group that can take away the football from the other team's offense and give your guys extra possessions because the rule changes have you know, made it so that you can't play that same physical brand of defense. Hey, Sean, these two teams that are going to be playing on Sunday, known for offense, their defenses get overlooked. They're both pretty good. The Chiefs have been good all year. The Buccaneers have gotten a lot better in recent weeks. Which of the two defenses would you rather face if you were the quarterback? The Chiefs, absolutely. You know, I don't think the Chiefs are near as good as they were last year on defense, whereas I think Tampa literally lined up with four down linemen and Rush Shaq Barrett JPP and get consistent pressure. You got two of the best linebackers in the National Football League in Devin White and Levante David. And then uh, his name's not mentioned a lot, but Kevin Ross has done a tremendous job with this secondary. When you're talking about a young group of players, even though they're talented, they've been very inconsistent throughout the regular season. They've been outstanding the last two weeks, enforcing turnovers, uh, getting passes defense on third down, 
like covering elite wide receivers in one-on-one situations, not getting bad penalties in big situations. So I think Tampa's a lot more talented defensively, and, and I think they're playing at a higher level currently. You know, it's been 18 years since the last time the Buccaneers were in the Super Bowl, and it's a different kind of a world now, obviously. But how does the excitement level in Tampa this time compare to how it was the last time around in 2002? Well, this is title town, and everyone, I know you have a national show, you have a lot of people that watch and, and you know, tune in to hear what Mike Floria has to say. Listen, we are telling you guys, this is title town USA. Tampa Bay Rays made it the World Series. Even though we didn't win it, we are in the World Series. The Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Our hockey team, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, won their championship. And now our NFL professional football team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are in the Super Bowl with a chance to bring the Lombardi Trophy back here for the second time. So it's been a pretty neat, you know, six to eight months for this city. And this is a great way to you know, put a bow on top of it. Again, we got to win. You've got a couple of your teammates in the Hall of Fame. John Lynch and Rondé Barber are finalists this year. How cool would it be, especially for John, he seems the closest to getting in. How cool would it be to see him get in this year It just kind of icing on top of the cake for uh, for the Bucs? Well, it would be great because not only are uh, John Lynch and Rondé Barber great players, they're great people. And they've gone on and done tremendous things since they retired from the National Football League. And you know, I think that should count for something. You know, So uh, I'd love to see John – you know, get in. I'd love to see Monday get in. I think the organization deserves it. And uh, hats off to Tony Dungeon because that would be all four Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, that are still living, that are in the Hall of Fame, were drafted, you know, if I'm not mistaken, by Tony Dungeon. Although I might be wrong on that with Brooks and Sapp, but I know he was a big part of raising and developing them into the players that they became. So he deserves a lot of credit for putting that team together. And I'd love to see us, you know, get those last two guys in. I know you, I hear you're coaching now, Sean. Do you enjoy the experience of, of coaching? I do. The intrinsic value attached to it is tremendous. I mean, you're, you're convincing a family to send you their child, and you're telling them that you're going to nurture and take care of him and help him grow from a boy to a man, and that's on and off the field. So when you see the byproduct of that on the back end, I mean, it's very rewarding. Sean, you overlapped for a year in Tampa Bay with Chris Sims. Now, I've spent almost four years with him. Uh, I, you know, one one year would be enough, frankly. What's the? Give me the Chris Sims memory that stands out. Best story about Chris Sims? Well, I, I, he's white chocolate. He's the palest black dude I know. <laughs> you know, you look at him and you think one thing, and I mean, he's the most down to earth, cool guy I've ever seen. You know, he fit in with everybody. You know, but I'll never forget, um, John was mic'd up. I think we had just moved training camp over to Disney. You know, Chris had one of those plays. Blast the wild bunch right up counter motion. 72 crisscross, wide swing, X out. Hey, if we get Mike saying we want to go 98 bunch crunch. If you think you're getting any kind of weak pressure, go 200 jet smoke. And, you know, Chris kind of fell off it. Blast. And <laughs> it just, it was, it was so unique in that he was trying to figure out how to actually call plays. And I think it took him the whole first year to be able to call, you know, a full play. But, I mean, to watch him grow, and, you know, he's a great dude. I'm super proud of what he's done, you know, in, in the media. And uh, I miss him. Hey, Chris, we miss you down here in Tampa. I wish it was normal times and I could be there live and spend a little time with all you guys. Now, Sean, he claims that after scoring a touchdown in the playoff game against Washington in 2005, that he actually threw the ball not into the pirate ship, but into the hole in one of the cannons. I, I don't believe it. You've been on that field. You see how far it is. You see what kind of target that is. Is it possible for someone to throw the football into the hole in one of the cannons? Well, I mean, what he forgot to tell you was he was trying to hit the scoreboard. <laughs> 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 so I do believe the ball could have went in the cannon, but I don't think he was aiming for the cannon. I think he was going, he was aiming at the scoreboard. <laughs> What's the key for the Bucs in this game, Sean? I think we have to uh, control time of possession. If you look back at the regular season game between Kansas City and, and Tampa, the Chiefs had the ball for 36 minutes. Tampa only had it for 23. You know, and a lot of that had to do with our inability to, convert third downs or being manageable third downs. So you look at the Saints and Packers game early in those games, we were very aggressive on third down, third and short, throwing the ball deep. We didn't convert 
I think it's very imperative you keep Patrick Mahomes and that offense on the sideline. You limit their ability to do damage by not allowing them to get on the field. So Tampa has to control the time of possession. Sean, everybody's talking, obviously, about the Mahomes-Brady matchup. Brady in his 10th Super Bowl. Mahomes trying to go back-to-back for the first time since Brady did it in 03-04, I believe, or 04-05, whatever it was. But how do you see this quarterback matchup shaking out? Well, I think if two guys are unbelievably successful, I think they're completely different in how they find ways to win games. I think Brady might be one of the best leaders in professional sports history, regardless of football, basketball, hockey, or baseball, just what he's been able to do with a lot of different supporting casts and getting those guys to believe in what the goal was for that season and finding a way to get it accomplished, a second to none. And we're dealing with Mahomes. I mean, he's a unicorn. I mean, he's one of the only guys I've ever seen in the history of this league that can beat you with his mind, his arm, or his legs. And those guys don't come around that often. So, I mean, two guys that get it done in different ways, but, hey, this is what we wanted. You know, the one, the two things that Brady brought to Tampa was maturity and notoriety. Tampa had kind of fell off the national landscape. I mean, we were not relative or relevant, you know, to anything going on national football league from a positive standpoint. So when he got here, we became a national brand. And uh, to go on the road and win three playoff games in a row, I mean, that's huge. A lot of people were unsure about the Chiefs late in the year, that last quarter of the season. You know, even though they found a way to win some games, it didn't look like the Chiefs came back. They've been dynamic in the playoffs, so I mean, it's everything that you can want. You know, the young gun versus the old head. You know, does the old cowboy have one more, you know, gun battle that he can win against this up and coming stud? Sean, you know, I'm doing a little research here on the fly, and I'm doing a little bit of rough math. You're just a couple of months older than Tom Brady. How in the hell, from your perspective, is this guy still going and playing at a high level at age 43? Well, him and Drew Brees got into yoga and uh, stretching before a lot of us. I never forget. Uh, I had a conversation with Drew in 2001. He was talking about, you know, even then, all the resources that he was putting towards, you know, maintaining his body in the off season, and you know, he was doing uh, mental gymnastics with you know hired help, you know. So they were just ahead of the game as far as the comprehensive, you know, athletic plan, you know, for you know January to December for an athlete. And I think LeBron James gets a lot of credit, justifiably so, for being a guy that really invests in his body before the game, during the game, after the game. But in football, Drew Brees and Tom Brady were way ahead of the curve as far as all those things are concerned. Well, hey, Sean, we appreciate some of your time as always. It's great to see you. You're looking good. Looks like a great day down there in Tampa. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And we uh, look forward to talking to you soon, pal. Thanks for having me. Good to see both of you guys. Enjoy Sunday. Thanks, Sean. All right. There he is. Sean King. One of our all-time favorites. We're going to take a break and wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM right after this. Well, Shireen, our new arrival, Miles Simmons, found out the hard way today the meaning of the term ratio on Twitter when on Groundhog Day he made the observation that he doesn't really like the movie. Groundhog Day is not a good movie, he said, and a lot of people uh, let him hear it to the contrary. So I retweeted it, of course, to give it an even bigger platform so he would get hit harder. By it. Just We just got to get him used to the Twitter mob. Yeah. You got to thicken your skin. He's the new hire. He's getting hazed a little bit, and he's also got to get used to it. So I said, inspired by this, name a movie that you don't like that you feel you're supposed to like. Shireen, what, what is your number one movie that you don't like but you think you're supposed to like? You know, there was a movie that came out a few years ago, and I don't know if it won the Academy Award, but I know it was up for a ton of Academy Awards, Crash. And I started watching it, and we got about 20 or 25 minutes into it, and we said, we can't do this. So I know it was highly acclaimed. I know it was supposed to be a good movie. I didn't get into that one, and I never finished that one. But I like Groundhog Day. I'm, I'm on the, the text screen with the, I know it's created a controversy even among us, whether you like it or don't like it. And, and I tend to like Groundhog Day. 
Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. I saw it in the theaters. I've had no compulsion to watch it again. I may have at one point. It was on Netflix or some streaming service. Peacock, maybe. Peacock. It was on Peacock. Peacock. Can't mention any of the other streaming services. Peacock is the only one. But uh, I I just, I never really got it. I never really liked it. And uh, I like Bill Murray. I like him in Ghostbusters. It just didn't do it for me. For me, Forrest Gump is the movie that, like, you're supposed to love. But I, I remember seeing that one time. I've never seen it again. And I remember sitting in the theater in 1994 thinking, when is this thing ever going to end and what is the point? Yeah. Sleepless in Seattle is another one for me. I, I, you know, it's supposed to be a girl movie and girls are supposed to get into that. I'm just like, eh, it's, it's okay. I didn't love it. And now it's on all the time. So I try to avoid it when it does come on. Well, another thing we're supposed to love now from a football standpoint is this this new dynamic that the Rams have discovered of never using a first round pick. They'll go from 2017 through 2023 with no first round pick. Go get great players elsewhere. You don't need first round picks. It's a crapshoot. And first of all, Shereen, they wouldn't have Aaron Donald if they didn't use their 2014 first round pick. And secondly, and this is the thing that people are not paying attention to, the rookie wage scale allows you to acquire young talent, possibly great talent, and have that talent under contract for at least four, as many as five years. And it makes it a lot easier to balance out a roster that otherwise has free agents that cost a lot of money. So I I don't like the idea of this habit of turning up your nose at first-round picks. I don't either, Mike. And you go back to the George Hill, the George Allen over-the-hill game back in our day, back with Washington. And it was different because they didn't have the salary cap, obviously, and didn't have unfettered free agency. But it still reminds me of that because George Allen loved to collect those veteran players, hated playing rookies, and would play those veteran players and did pretty well doing it. But I think you have to have the rookies in this day and age, Mike. And even though the NFL is now a true year-to-year proposition, I think it's important to have a young nucleus of players who become your future. And the Rams just don't have that. Guys are getting older in three, four, five years. Who knows where the Rams are going to be? they got to worry about the Chargers taking over L.A. if they're not careful. That's it for today's PFTPM. Everyone have a great evening. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.